Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. So I am very pleased to be here. The biblical culture that's been created uh, in Kaya. See, I actually wrote down what I wanted to say because I didn't want to say something stupid. Uh, uh, it, is, it is a beautiful thing, and it thrills me. It gives me so much hope for the future. That's really what you guys do for me when I look out there, and I look at your faces, and it really gives me so much hope for the future, not only for Midtown, but for the many churches that will be born from within this body. Uh, there's no reason why that this should mean anything to you, but I am so proud of you guys. Uh, any minister who loves Christ and longs to see uh, Christ's name, his name glorified uh, would feel the same. So I thought long and hard about what I would want to say to you, you know, if finally Brandon ever popped the question. <laughs> and he did, and he asked me, and I was like, Yes. It's wonderful. So I thought long and hard about what I wanted to talk about and share with you guys. And I was so thrilled when I heard Andrew was talking about the love of God this morning because I was like praying, like, God, please give me the right topic. And uh, I heard he was preaching about the love of God. And uh, that made me so happy. It was like confirmation that the Holy Spirit was trying to say something today uh, in the services. And I began to think about my childhood. And uh, one of the things growing up that I've always probably enjoyed the most about my family was just being able to sit around the table, you know, with my dad and uh, my grandfather, uh, who, who my, uh, I miss very much. But uh, my Uncle Paul, <clears throat> you guys know Emily, she's out there, she's right there, her dad. And uh, did you guys know me and Emily are cousins? right? That just makes me a little more famous, right? Because I'm related to her. And, um, but I would get to sit around the table with these guys, listen to my dad, my granddad, my uncle Paul. We would just gather in the living room around the table. And uh, sometimes it would be like a formal Bible study. Sometimes it would just be informal conversations. And uh, from the time that I was a child, I would just sit there and listen to these men talk about the word uh, and about the mission, that, that was my greatest education, and it was my greatest blessing in my life. So as I was anticipating what this time would look like when I got to finally share it with you all, uh, I really wanted to kind of share one of those moments with you. Uh, instead of going into some, I don't want to use the word deep doctrine, because I think that the love of God is about as deep as it gets, um, but you know what I mean. I mean, we're not going to be discussing this morning whether or not Adam had a blood circulatory system or not. <laughs> Probably not going to delve into that. Uh, whether he had a belly button, you know. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, wait a second. <laughs> we're not going to delve into that. Uh, I really wanted to share one of those heartfelt moments like I got to share with my dad. Uh, so if you would just allow me, I would like to just share some fatherly wisdom, which I can say now because I'm old. And, um, and uh, so if you could just kind of imagine that we're not really here right now. We're just kind of gathered around the living room. We're just talking. We're just kind of in the kitchen and we're, you know, pouring coffee and we're just kind of talking with each other. Just the same way that I would share with my kids, which are the uh, greatest kids in the whole world. Now, I don't mean to imply that you're kids, because you're not. I do mean to imply that I am old, and mostly I mean to imply that I would like to say that I love you like a father loves his children, but I don't think I've earned the right to say that. And, uh, but that's really what I want to talk to you about this morning, is that kind of love that our Father has for us, and the kind of love that we get to share in a way to honor his name. I want to talk to you about love because love is a fundamental doctrine. 
Love is a fundamental attribute of our Heavenly Father. Just as the Bible says that God is holy more than anything else, He is holy. And that's actually what gives way to His ability to love. They're connected. They're not separate. Uh, They're intertwined. He is holy. But just as it says He is holy, it also says that God is love. 1 John 4, 16 and we have known and believed the love of, that God hath to us. God is love. He is love. That's what he is. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Teaching on love in the Bible is so simple and so practical, and yet it is quite deep. It's, it's a very deep subject. It's a subject that we seem so familiar with, And yet, it also seems very foreign to us. And one of the greatest places to learn about this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you've been married, you've probably heard this chapter, because they always quote it. From this passage, I want to share with you uh, the way or how we can love like Christ loves. Now, there are some of you out there that might be rolling your eyes. I I would tend to do that when I was young, and I would hear someone mention 1 Corinthians 13. I'm like, oh. Not again. But actually, one of my greatest joys in the world is taking those passages that are so familiar to us and being able to turn them inside out and find all the stuff that we pass over. There's so much good stuff in this passage. Uh, This is the way that we honor his name. That's really what love is about. Love is not about making somebody feel good, even though it does, doesn't it? It does make you feel good. My wife, she's sitting right there. You guys know Mindy? Yeah. She is, uh, she's the greatest wife in the whole world. Uh, and, uh, and I can say that because she's my wife. So you can say whatever you want. And all the, yeah, all the husbands are like, well, wait a second. <laughs> but uh, I do think she is. And uh, love makes you, does make you feel good. I mean, all she has to do is just touch my face. And I feel like I could pick up a Volkswagen. I mean, I dine off of that for like a week. I'm just like ready to go. That's all she's got to do. Doesn't even have to say anything. She just gives me that look. She touches my face. And man, I'm ready to go. <laughs> to, to work. I'm ready to go to work. <laughs> I'm ready to go to work. Of course, that doesn't sound good either. But I, I'm just going to retract. You see what I mean? I'm so sorry, punk. Uh, What was I saying? Uh, This is the way that we honor his name. Love is the way that we grow. And it's, to be very practical, it's the way that we keep what we have here in Kaya. That's the way we keep it. It comes down to how we're able and how the ability that we have to love one another. Love is what all of us want. It's what we need. And it's the best way to, I should say, the best way to ensure that each of you get it, that you get love, is to teach you how to give it. So I want to share with you nine ways. And you're like, good Lord, nine? (laughs) Right. Did you guys like my PowerPoint? I tried to make it as cheesy Christmas as I could. I wanted to make it embarrassingly Christmas, even though my message has nothing to do with Christmas, but it's that time of year. And so it's a gift that you give, right? I thought that was awesome. So um, I want to share with you nine ways to love someone. And now I I should say that in the context of this, the Corinthian church was a church that was so childish. I know that you guys can't identify with this, but they were so childish. They were so ambitious and envious, always seeking the next pleasure, just always uh, cutting off another slice of ambition, right? So they could consume it. Two scoops of prestige. That's what they wanted. The Corinthians had a pride problem. The Greek words for puffed up, that phrase, occur only seven times in the New Testament, and six of them are in this letter. These guys were full of themselves. 
They could use the pretense of love to manipulate people to gain some advantage for themselves. And uh, like I said, you guys don't understand that, being that way. But that's pretty much the way society is today. Nothing's really changed. And that's exactly what makes this place here so special. We found a place where we can love and we can be loved. We've stumbled across this kind of oasis in the desert. It's great when you get inside and you find out that it's not a mirage, that it's a real, it's a real thing. More importantly, love is how we bear the resemblance of our Heavenly Father. It's by this that all men shall know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 13 today. This is often called the love chapter. But before we look at that, I want to explain something to you first. You'll notice that sometimes uh, in this passage, you'll notice here that sometimes this word uh, love is translated as charity. And what is the reason for that? Most modern Bible versions translate the Greek word, uh, they translate this as love. And in all fairness, the Greek word is agape, right? Which can be and is most often translated as love. The word love in the Bible actually has several Greek words, but agape is the one that is most often used. Now, the only reason why I mention this is there seems to be a great deal of confusion today about like, what love means, the definition of that word. And the King James Version of the Bible is the only version that provides us an example of the nuance of this word. This is not a translation problem. They're being exact. That's what they're being. You find the word love in the Bible more than just about any other word, but on occasion it is translated as charity, and I think that this is just such a perfect word. So why do the King James translators translate it this way? It's because when you think of the word charity, you think of generous giving. And you should, because the Greek word actually means affectionate benevolence. Now, this is important because this provides a fundamental understanding of the word love. When we love in action, we always have to give. That's what love always does. It always gives. It's impossible to love without giving, as you've probably heard more times than you can count. You cannot love someone without giving something. It's impossible. What is more, when we think of the word charity, we think of giving freely without expecting anything in return. Those guys out there with the bells and the buckets, and you think, well, it's a charity. I'll just give. I mean, they're not giving you anything back, except maybe a candy cane or something like that. You're just giving it because it's good to do. And that's exactly what you should think when you think of charity, because that's the way that love is meant to give. You're meant to give Because it's good, because it's right, not because you're getting anything in return. These concepts live at the heart of the word love. Love is giving. Love is giving by grace. Love is a free gift without expecting anything in return. Listen, love is meant to be given when it is undeserved. That is when love is meant to be given. That is why on occasion... 28 times to be exact, they translate this word charity because they want you to understand the nuance of that word love because love can be so nebulous, right? It's love and so they say charity because they want to conjure in your mind the exactness of this definition of what it is. If you're not giving, then it's not love. If you're not giving to those, if you're only giving to those who deserve it, then it's not love. If you're giving, expecting something in return, then it's not love. The word charity reminds us what love is. Charity is love, but it's more exact. And it tells you what it means. This word reminds us that Christians, above all else, are to be charitable people. We give ourselves to others, and we do it freely, and we do it generously. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity, as you heard this morning. But the greatest of these is charity. These are the three main tenets of our life in Christ, our faith, our hope, our love. And the greatest of these is a charitable love. Now think about how necessary our faith is. Without it, we would have nothing. Think about how important our hope in Christ is. If, If we don't have the resurrection, then we are of all men most miserable. And yet Paul says the greatest of these three things is charity. 
The idea of giving sacrificially and freely to others, and especially to the household of faith, Paul says that is the greatest and most important aspect of our Christian life. There is coming a day when our faith and hope will be realized, but our love for each other, it will never end. That sounds like a cheesy 80s song, doesn't it? Paul says, if you do not have charity, then you are nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. Paul says everything that you do should be done with charity, 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Paul says the goal of ministry is charity, 1 Timothy 1, 5. Paul says charity is the bond of perfectness, Colossians 3, 14. And Peter, we'll just throw him in for good measure, says that you should have charity above all things, 1 Peter 4, 8. So if love means that you need to give freely and sacrificially, generously and undeservedly, then what exactly, now here's where we're going to get to the point, what exactly are we supposed to give? What do we give to people? We give love. What does that mean? It just means we hug everybody, which is cool. I like to hug. I love to hug people. But what exactly are we supposed to give? Well, this passage here tells us what we're supposed to give, and it's been compared to the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, because they both have a list of nine things. It's been compared to the fruit of the Spirit, and I think that that's a good comparison. This passage in Galatians 5, they kind of mirror each other. Uh, They're like two sides of the same coin. If you think of Galatians 5 um, as the fruit of the Spirit, then you think of 1 Corinthians 13 as the fruit of Christ. This is what shows us how we can be most like Christ. Whenever the the Christ comes out of us, this is what is going to come out of us. It's going to come the fruit of Christ. It's going to come this love, this charity. Just like in Galatians 5, we see the love, joy, hope, and peace. All of these things come out of us. This is exactly what is supposed to come out of us. But this, in 1 Corinthians 13, tells us exactly how we are supposed to give and what we are supposed to give. All right. Well, I'm sorry. My pad is just messing up. Can you give me that paper there? I know. I should have gone with the iPad. Yeah. I apologize. All right. So let me just turn over here. Okay, you guys just talk amongst yourselves. I'll be right there. (laughs) All right, here we go. So, how do we love like Christ? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. It says here, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. And those last ones are kind of all chunked together. This passage shows us nine things that we should give charitably if we want to love like Christ. So if the first thing that we want to give in this passage is we want to give patience. That is the first thing I would say that you can give to somebody if you want to love them, is you can give them patience. It says here, charity is long-suffering. So this phrase means to, as it says, to suffer long, and it really explains itself. The word means to suffer or endure something for a long time. It means that the circumstance is not necessarily to your liking or to your benefit, but you're willing to wait. You're willing to put up with it. It's most commonly referred to in the Bible as being patient. The key word here, or words, is to endure and to wait. Some verses in the Bible where you see this translated as patient, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, the same word. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, to warn them that are unruly, to comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. Same word to be long-suffering toward all men. James says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. For the husband wait, husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit, and he hath long patience. Almost the exact same phrase. Long-suffering, long patience for it. Everyone has found themselves in unpleasant circumstances. 
and with unpleasant people, right? The difference here is time, if you're willing to give them time. Even though the situation is not pleasant, you're willing to give them time and you're willing to wait. This, uh, their behavior may not be producing what you might call a pleasant or a desired outcome, but you're willing to bear along with them to endure the unpleasantness or the disappointment, to be patient and wait. You're willing to give them time. The opposite, obviously, is to suffer short. You've heard people say, like they've used the phrase, this guy is very short-tempered. When you're very short-tempered with people, see, that's not love. You're not being very loving when you're short-tempered with people. You also have people who have a short fuse. You have people that have a short attention span. They don't have much time for what you have to say. And the application, one of the most powerful ways that you can start acting on this right away, I know this sounds weird, but just bear with me. I think one of the best ways that you can start acting on this, and certainly not limited to this, is you can start paying attention to someone else. Just start paying attention to them. When your child or your friend, especially my child, my child, Stefan, he's 13, man, this guy, he's got like, he's all the time, he loves to read, he loves to learn, and he's got a million questions, right? And he'll come up to me and he'll tell me the entire story of the Punic Wars, and I'm like, man, dude, I just want a cup of coffee. It's all, I, it's all I want right now. And he wants to explain to me all the Greek tragedies. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. He will explain those things to me at like 7 in the morning. I'm just trying, I'm just stirring the coffee, man. You know, haven't even taken my house shoes off yet. But you pay attention. <laughs> because... It's Stefan, and he's just like the light of our lives. He's so beautiful, and so I, I just sit there. Tell me all about the Punic Wars. I don't even know what that is, man. Just, you, just tell me, you just tell me all about it. Just pay attention. It's one of the most powerful ways that you can show love to someone. Another way to act on, the, the, uh, to act on this is to simply put up with someone's unpleasant behavior. I'm not talking about sinful or malicious behavior, I'm talking about annoying behavior. You know those people. There's some people, they are just annoying, like the way I annoy my wife. And she puts up with me all the time. I'm all the time trying to show her some comedian that's really funny or some, you know, Instagram reel. And I'm just cracking up. And she's just like, Brian, okay, would you grow up? <laughs> she's like, it's, it's just not funny. I don't understand why you think that's funny. I'm like, didn't you? No, she just doesn't. But she puts up with me. Uh, perhaps your spouse or your friend or your brother uh, loves to go to the park. My wife loves to go to the park, right? And so they would love to go to the park, and you, on the other hand, would rather eat razor blades <laughs> than go to the park. How long are you willing to endure the park before you hang yourself on the jungle gym? The park is an awful place. <laughs> Consider how many problems could be avoided if we could just wait for a moment longer. If we could just suffer long. So what else are we supposed to give? Number two, we give kindness. Charity is kind. Good grief. We're going to be here till three. Um, <laughs> charity is kind. This, this Greek word is used only one time in the entire New Testament, right here. And it means to employ yourself in a way that is useful or beneficial to someone else. The Greek word, the root of this Greek word is krestos. It means to give help, as to, uh, to, to act on this word, uh, to give help to someone, to be kind to them. The root word really is broken down into three parts. It really helps us. It means to be good to someone. It means to be gracious to someone, forgiving. It means to be easy. Man, I love that. What a great way to be kind. Be, be easy with people. Have you ever met someone that's difficult? They're not easy. They're the opposite of easy. They're just so difficult. 
Man, you guys need to be like Lionel Richie, right? Easy like Sunday morning. Be easy. I was uh, talking with this guy. He looked, we were in this crowd. We are in Amsterdam. There was a group of us, and there was a guy who was kind of off by himself. And I thought, well, I'll, you know, it'll be nice. I'll go try to start up a conversation with him. I knew he was a reader. And I, so I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, uh, like, so who's your favorite author? He's like, how do you mean? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> Just, I meant like, who's your favorite author? <laughs> I did not think past that. He's like, well, there's a lot of ways someone could answer that question, isn't there? I, I thought like, if you had a favorite, <laughs> then you would tell me. And he said, well, there's uh, guys that are really good in one subject that are not necessarily good in another. And what genre are we talking about? Because there's many guys that are really good in one genre and they are terrible in another. Are we talking about like Christology? Or are we talking about science fiction? You got to give me some information here. How exactly am I supposed to answer this question? I said, you know what? You're right. I apologize. This was my fault. I did not think this through. I'm just going to walk away. And then I realized why he was standing alone. <laughs> Some people are just so difficult. Just a simple question, man. I don't even care about the question. I was just trying to be nice, talk to the guy, you know. Some people are so difficult. You need to be easy, don't be difficult. This uh, Greek word, the, the, the root of this Greek word, means to be able to do those things which are needed. Like in Luke 12, 30, it says, For all these things do the nations and the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. That's the same root of that Greek word. These things that are needed. Are you actually meeting a need that another person has? Is what you are doing or the way that you're behaving profitable to them? That's being kind. That's being kind. Be easy and be useful. So that's just like uh, four things you can say about being kind. You can be good, you can be forgiving, you can be easy, and you can be useful. That's what love gives. This is how you can be charitable to someone. Give them kindness. Another thing you can give is, is goodwill. Now this is, you give goodwill to someone. I don't mean like go to goodwill. I mean give goodwill to someone. Let me explain that. That's something probably that we use at home more than we use here. It says charity envieth not. This is a huge problem when it comes to love. This is one of the worst things that can ever happen to a person is envy. Do you want to know why the Pharisees wanted Christ crucified? Because of envy, Matthew 28, 17. Do you know why Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery? Envy, Acts 7, 9. You know why the Jews fought against Paul? Because of envy, Acts 13, 45. Philippians 1, 15 says that there were some preachers who actually took advantage of Paul being in prison to advance their own positions. And why? Because of envy. Envy is, is a terrible thing. It's a killer. We always think that love and charity is helping someone who is less fortunate what about someone who is more fortunate? We hate those people. The people who are more fortunate than others? <laughs> Who's got time for them? If there's one thing that we have all in common in the 21st century is we hate rich people. They're the villains. When I was a kid, the, guy, the villains, you know, they wore the black hats, you know, and the good guys wore the white hats, you know, and all this kind of stuff, the cowboys and... These villains were the, the guys that would rob the bank. Now today, the villains are rich CEOs because we all hate rich people. We're all hypocrites because we all want to be one, right? We all want to be rich people. Do you have goodwill toward your brother even when something good happens to him? Do you actually wish them well? Are you able to be genuinely happy for someone when good fortune finds them. 
You don't often think of that. When we think of loving someone, we think of someone who is hurting, and we get to be the ones to be the benefactor. But what about whenever something is really going right for someone? Do you have to screw it up? Do you have to ruin it with your envy? And you think, why do they get to be happy when I don't? If I don't get to be happy, then nobody gets to be happy. And we envy them. And envy is a kind of hate. Uh, It's so funny to go up to an Englishman and compliment them on their clothes. They can't handle it because this is such a problem in the English culture. They cannot handle it because we cannot be seen to be doing well in any way. You go up to an Englishman, you're like, hey, man, that's a really nice shirt. And he has to downplay it. He's like, oh, it's, uh, I, I got it on sale. Um, I, I actually don't even really like it. I stole it from a homeless person. <laughs> I, it's really not that nice. And th- so then everyone around is like, okay, we're, he's still miserable. So we're all okay. Everything's back in balance. <laughs> if someone succeeds, we have to try to find a reason why it's really not that great. God forbid that anyone actually rises out of the misery for a moment. Because if we can't be happy, then no one's allowed to be. And this is not a biblical position. It may be a cultural one, but it's not a biblical one. Just try it in the days ahead. When you come, days ahead, come, when you come across someone who has stumbled into a bit of good fortune, even if you only say it in your head, just try this as an exercise. Just say... Good for you. Good for you, man. It's real simple. You might even say it out loud. You know, I'm really, man, I'm really happy that that happened to you. Instead of being envious. Be happy for them in your heart. That is something that you can give generously and doesn't cost you anything. It's absolutely free. And it's so valuable to just be happy for someone when good happens to them. You can give humility. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. This is another thing that you can give to someone that is extremely underrated, but is so very powerful. Take notice of the word that says, charity vaunteth not itself. Uh, Circle the word itself in your mind, as in yourself. Love is not about self, it's about others. To vaunt yourself up is to puff up yourself. It's about making yourself bigger. Love is about lifting others up, not yourself. Love, like humility, is not thinking less of yourself, but rather it is thinking of yourself less. There is nothing wrong with you growing strong and being successful, with you growing smart and being wealthy, But the reason why we grow so big is so that we can put someone else on our shoulder so that they can reach higher than us. That's the reason we grow strong, is so that we can be strong for someone who isn't. That's the reason why we pull our lives together so that we can be together for someone who is falling apart. We don't just grow strong and big so that we can just be strong and big. And so that we can be stronger and bigger and more successful than someone else. We grow strong and big on purpose. And we should not be afraid of being successful because the reason why we're successful is so that we can help someone else become more successful than we are. It puts us in a position to love whenever we work really hard. But if you're not strong and successful, then you can't even be humble to begin with. There's no virtue in that. People say, oh, I'm, a, I'm humble. You're like, no, you're not. Your life's just a mess. <laughs> That's not the same thing as being humble. It's easy to be humble when everything's falling apart. You're like, I don't think anything of myself. Well, for good reason, right? <laughs> Philippians 2, 3 says, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Vainglory, that's for your own glory. But in loneliness, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Today we're so puffed up, not only with our successes, but also with our wounds. We don't just brag about success anymore. We compare our wounds. We brag about our wounds. We may not be the most successful person, but we're certainly the most wounded. 
Nobody is more wounded than I am. No one has it worse than me. We become so proud and boastful of our injuries and our misfortune. One of the greatest epidemics we face today is loneliness. That is something that we face and deal with in London a lot. London is probably the loneliest city I've ever been in my life. It's a huge epidemic. But there is a portion of that, of that loneliness, that is due to the fact that all we ever think about is ourself. And that is exactly what we end up with. We end up isolated. We end up thinking about ourselves, both our successes and our hurts. Pride, pride is not love. These two are like light and dark. They cannot exist in the same place. Pride is the banner and the motto of Satan himself. Can you imagine the quality of our relationships if we just took a break from talking about our own success? What if we just took a break from wallowing in our own pain for a minute? If we took a second to try to feel somebody else's pain, you would be, you would be amazed at how quickly your loneliness would leave you. That's the kind of humility that love gives. Number five is decency. Charity does not behave itself unseemly. This is great because this is an easy one. If you're looking for one to cherry pick, this is a good one. Great way for you to love someone and be charitable to them is just be decent. Be decent to them. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, he says, For you know, for yourselves know how we, you ought to follow us. For we behaved ourselves, we behave not ourselves disorderly. That's what that word means, unseemly, means to be disorderly. Another word, which is very helpful here, is the word ugly. It's actually what is there in the root of this word is the word ugly. The Bible uses the word uncomely. And you see how closely connected this is to being kind, but it's a little different. In other words, there's a certain order to the way that you're supposed to behave, there are lines that you're not supposed to cross because to do so would be out of order. The negative way to say this is don't be ugly to people. It's something very easy for me to remember, and maybe it would help you, is that whenever you're being unseemly to someone, whenever you're acting disorderly, whenever you're out of line, as we would say, in that moment, you are ugly. It's ugly. It makes you look ugly to them and to everyone else. That is not the way that we want to be, to get, uh, that's not the way that we want to love. We don't want to be ugly with people. But there is nothing more beautiful than putting on the honor of Christ and putting that on display. When you can just simply be decent to people. Number six, you can give yourself. Charity seeketh not our own. And we almost can't go into this. I mean, it's almost one of those things you can't talk about because this is really stuck to every verse, every page throughout the entire Bible. This is really what the heart of what love is about, is about being unselfish. We hear we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, 1 John three sixteen, It's probably the most fundamental and definitive way that you can love someone is by not making it about you. You know those people it's just always about them. Everything is about them. Even when they do you a good turn, it's about them. This is not real love. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, we see these people, these Macedonian believers who were just so poor and destitute, and they wanted to be a part of giving relief to other Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering. And Paul tried to tell them, he's like, listen, you don't have the money to give. And he says that they begged us, please let us be a part of this offering. Please allow us to participate in this ministering of the saints. It says they gave in their power what they were able to give, but even beyond their power, they even went into their own stash of what they would need for the winter, and they gave some of that too. And they said, please take that. That is the way that we're supposed to be. It's, it's not about us. And it says here in this passage, it says, but first they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. 
They are so unselfish. That's what that's about. That's the way that we can save what we have here is if we are unselfish with other people. I know that that sounds like something that your mom always told you, but she was right. She was right. Moms are like that. They know. And, and yet here we are and we know, man, don't we get selfish. We get very selfish. Okay, number seven. You can also give peace and quiet. Give some peace and quiet. This is something I wish that my children would give to me. <laughs> Just a little peace and quiet. You guys, you, you'll know, man. How many in here, how many people in here have four kids? Anybody in here has four kids? See, you guys don't know. <laughs> I have to go lock myself in the bathroom for some peace. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah, I'm sitting there in the bathroom with a bottle of wine. It's, it's, it's pathetic. <laughs> it's depressing. Just want some peace and quiet. I'm saying through the door, I've had enough Punic Wars for today, man. I can't do it. No, that's not what this is about. The idea of this word provoked, it means to be stirred up. Like when Paul said in Acts 17, 16, that he went to Athens and it, it stirred him up in his spirit to be stirred up. It means to be stirred up to the point that it's actually uh, like it produces sharp contention. Like when in, with, with Barnabas in Acts 15, 39, when the contention was so sharp between them that they had to depart from one another. The point here is that there are some people, they are always stirred up about something. There's some people you just can't do anything without upsetting them. They, always, they get angry so easily. Something always bothers them. Something is always not right. There's always a problem. There's always drama. And when you're around this kind of person, man, they just, there's no peace in their life. One of the ways that you can love someone is by giving them some peace. Again, this is, it's, it becomes not about you, but about the effect that you're having on the other person. I wish someone like this could think about that for a second. Illustration between husbands and wives. We got any married people in here? Are you ready? We got some married people? Yeah. One of the ways that wives try to change their husbands is they grind them down through the Chinese water torture known as nagging. It's always something. You forgot this. You need that. Why didn't you do this? Look at this brochure. How come you never take me anywhere? We really ought to think about doing this, and you missed a spot. Don't eat too much. Why did you park there? You should exercise more. Until eventually the sound of their voice, it just becomes like someone who lives by a train, and you just don't even hear it anymore, right? Just constantly something always easily provoked. Now, the reason why women do this is because most of the time they're right. <laughs> I do need to eat less. I loved it, man, when I was getting a second bowl of ice cream, number two, and I was walking past Mindy, and she's just sitting there looking at her phone, and she just says, really? me up, man. <laughs> the reason why they do this is because most of the time they're right. You know? Now some, now my wife, she does not nag me. She doesn't. She's, she's very sweet. And I'm sure none of your wives do either. But there are, you know, women that do that. And it's not just, it's not even just exclusive to husband and wives. It's just with friends. It's just always something the reason why people do this is because sometimes they're right in what they say. Sometimes they're justified with what they say. But people also do this because they're carnal and selfish. They focus on what they would like to get out of you. And they're not getting it. 
They're disappointed in their partner or their friend, and their contempt begins to stir them up. And in time, everything that their partner or their friend does is wrong. It always comes up short. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3, going back to those husbands and wives, it gives us a little bit of insight. It actually tells us that if you really want to change your husband, do you know what, do you know what Peter says? And of course he said this. He's a guy, right? And he was married. But Peter says the best way to change your husband, I, I, don't, I can't even say it. <laughs> I can't even say it. He says, be quiet. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I can't believe I just said that, but uh, that's what he said. A meek and quiet spirit, man. There's nothing that'll change a guy more. Nothing that will change your friend more. It's not just exclusive to friends, I mean, to husbands and wives. An, an irritable spirit found among friends and family, man, it's a killer. If you want to show love and charity, one of the ways you can do that is by giving the person that you're with some peace and some quiet. You don't always have to be stirred about, up about something. And if you are, that doesn't mean the person next to you has to hear about it. When you're with another person, you can be charitable by just being calm. Allow them to enjoy the moment, man. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't talk. There are times for that. But you got to have discernment to know the time and place to talk about the problems. But it doesn't have to be all the time. Now, charity thinketh no evil. This is the next one. This is the opposite of that. Charity thinketh no evil. This is the eighth thing that you can do to be charitable. And this is really kind of the remedy for someone who is easily provoked, and that is to have a forgiving spirit. You can give forgiveness to someone. Charity thinketh no evil. This word here, to think, it means to, to count or to be reckoned. It's an accounting term that you see in Romans chapter 4 that was just quoted by David earlier. Uh, that it, we, it's counted to, for righteousness to us, Right? That's what it means. It means it's reckoned in the heavenly record. This is an accounting term. And what it's talking about here with someone uh, that charity thinketh no evil, there are some people, they're always keeping a record of how that they've been wronged. Right? You ever heard that expression? You're on the list, buddy. You're right. Of all the people I have to take revenge upon, you are on the list. There's some people always keeping a record whether consciously or unconsciously, they're kind of keeping a record of all the ways that they've been wronged. And they're going to get their revenge or they're going to make it right. That Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't keep a list. Husbands and wives do this all the time. You know, wives are great at this because wives are more stealthy than husbands are. Husbands, we don't know any better. We're just out there, right? We're just like, I don't like that. I don't think that that... But women, they just like you know, that's nice, baby. That's fine. And then they cut you when you're asleep, right? <laughs> a little bit more stuff with the ladies. They keep a record. People keep a record of when they've been done wrong. This is the opposite of love. Love is kind of like, you ever met one of those girls that's like so in love with their boyfriend and they can just do no wrong? You ever met a girl like that? It's so sappy and it's so sweet. And like the guy is like all in leather and chains. He's like a drug dealer. And he's like been, he's like been to jail six times. And she's like, well, he is just, you know, he's misunderstood. <laughs> and it's like nothing that this guy can do is wrong in her eyes. She's got some sort of justification for all of it. And there are girls who are like that. There are guys who are like that. She just assumes that he has the right intentions. She assumes that he has tried his best. Now, the truth is, this is there's a seed of, of real love in that. that. This kind of way of thinking, it breeds real optimism. It starts to think that when we think of like real life, okay, that's kind of a caricature, but in real life, it, you can be so in love with someone that even their hang-ups and their problems, they actually become kind of part of their charm, 
you kind of like it. You know, my, I, I always leave the cabinet doors open in, our, in the kitchen. I go and I get the bowl because I've got the ice cream in one hand and the bowl in the other. There's no other hands. <laughs> so the cabinet stays open. So one time while Mindy was cooking, she was at the hob cooking and I, I, I just, I would sneak around her and I opened every single door in the entire kitchen. And she finally looked up and every single door was open, <laughs> just as a joke, you know, but... And uh, that's really a bad illustration because she doesn't find that charming at all. But, uh, <laughs> but we can actually think that some of our hang-ups can be quite charming. Just as a side note, when a decent guy finds that kind of love, man, he would lay down in traffic for that kind of woman. There's nothing that motivates a man better than optimistic love. They see in that person who they know that they can be. And even their hang-ups and their you know, little annoyances. It's just all part of it. On the other hand, when you're in a relationship with someone, a friend, family member, a wife, who just assumes the worst, who just assumes the worst, well, believe me, that is exactly what you will get. The remedy to that is to have a forgiving spirit. Forgiving means to release someone. That's exactly the way that you can give this to someone is you can just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. We have to remember what God did for us through Christ in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. When I say that you can give forgiveness to someone. I certainly mean that you should forgive them when they sin, they confess, and so on. But more than that, I just mean in general that you need to have a forgiving spirit. You're just kind of willing to overlook it. First Peter 4, 8 says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, because charity shall what? Cover a multitude of sins. That's what charity does. You're like that girl. You just assume the best about them. And it's a little silly, but you assume the best about someone. I'm not talking about being unrealistic or being naive, but you're willing to assume the best as opposed to being someone that's constantly keeping a record of every single thing that someone does wrong to you or to someone else. Always assuming the worst, always thinking the worst of someone. And that brings us to our ninth thing that you can give is you can be a cheering section. Charity rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Now we have to remember the context. This is talking about love in a relationship with other people. That's the context of this statement. In general, we, we don't want to rejoice in sin. We, do, we want to rejoice in the truth, right? Okay, but this is in the context of relationship. This is in the context of loving someone else. This is the opposite of someone who thinks evil. Evil thinkers enjoy the pleasure of vindication when they see failure and even sin in someone else who they suspected was bad all along. That's what this is talking about when it says that you're not to rejoice in iniquity. It doesn't mean that we go over here and we just engage in sin and we rejoice in it. It's talking about rejoicing in the iniquity of someone else. When you see it, you knew that they were bad all along and now they failed and you knew it. See, there's the proof and you rejoice that they failed. Love doesn't do that. On the contrary, love is looking for the victories of truth in their life. Second John chapter four or second John verse four, it says, I rejoice greatly that I find that my children are what? Walking in truth. That's what we rejoice in. It goes without saying that we're not talking about unrepentant sin. That cannot be tolerated. It dishonors Christ and it must be called out. But what we're talking about here is something else. We're talking about what you are looking for in the person. What you're looking for in the other person. You're not waiting for them to fail. When the Bible talks about rejoicing in iniquity in the context of a relationship with another person, which is the context here, 
that kind of rejoicing often resembles the phrase, aha. That's what rejoicing sounds like, aha. We see that in the Bible, Psalm 35, 19 to 21. It says, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause, for they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me, and they said, Aha, aha, our eye hath seen it. That's someone who rejoices in iniquity. There are some who cannot say aha when they see sin and a failure in another. They cannot wait, in other words, to say aha when they see it. And that's not what charity does. That's not love. You're not looking and waiting for them to fail. You're looking and waiting for them to succeed. And when they do, you rejoice over that. And even before they do, you're cheering them on. Psalm 35 in the same chapter, verse 27, says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. There was this uh, lady in, uh, when we lived in Bermondsey in London, her name was Yemi. She was from Nigeria. And she was always late to church. Every Sunday. And I'm not talking about late. Like, I'm always late. I'm not talking about like that. I mean, I'm like late, like acceptable late. This lady would come in like when the preacher was at his last point on the sermon. And she would come walking in. And she had not just her, but she had like a baby and a pram and like six kids. And they come walking in. They would like sit on the front row. On the, I mean, it's like every Sunday. And there's some people just so annoyed by that, right? And there are other people that were just so happy that she was there. And on the days when she would show up on time, like by accident, <laughs> like it was daylight savings time or something, <laughs> And she got there on time by accident. The people that were so annoyed about her, almost disappointed that she ruined their expectation of her. And the other people would just laugh because they, they, didn't, realize, they didn't realize what she had been through before she got to church that day. They didn't ever take the time to recognize that dad was nowhere to be found. They didn't realize how hard it was for her just to get there at all. But some people are just so ready and willing to rejoice in the failures of others. That's not what charity does. What charity needs is a cheering section. And you might think, you know, why in the world does someone need a cheering section? Why don't they just do the right thing? And the truth is they don't need a cheering section, but the Bible says we should give them one anyway. The Bible says charity rejoices when we see other people walking in the truth. The cheering section attitude is what enables you to do the final four things in this chapter. Because if you're going to be a cheering section, you have to have cheers, right? These are the cheers. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You know what that sounds like? Beareth all things sounds like, I got you. I'm there for you. That's what a good cheering section sounds like when you're able to bear with them. I am there for you. Believe with all things, it sounds like I believe in you. Do you know what that means to someone when you say that to them? I believe, I believe in you. Hope with all things sounds like I know you can do it. I know you can do it. Endureth all things sounds like even if you don't, we'll just try again. That's the cheers of the cheering section. You need to be that for someone else. That's the way that you can give. This is how you can be a cheering section for others. When the truth of God bubbles up in their life, you're looking for it and you're rejoicing in it. And you're like, well done. See, I knew that you had it in you. There you are, right there. The person I could see all along, it's right there. And you're there to cheer them on. Just a little bit of advice though, especially to the wives out there. When you see a victory in your loved one, let that victory be enough. Sometimes our resentment can kind of come to the surface in a passive-aggressive kind of way, and we can just pour, pour cold water on all of our kind words. We say like, okay, we say, well done, babe. 
You know, I knew that you had it in you. Now all that you have to do is just continue to do that every single day for the rest of your life like you should have been doing all along. But good job, okay? You can kind of backtrack a little bit, okay? Especially the wives because they're just so ready for them to do the right thing. This is not a cheering section. That's more of a surprise uppercut. We want to stay away from that. (laughs) Listen, these nine things are the ways that all of us can love better. Of all things that you may be trying to improve in your life, this should be at the top of your list. Being a charitable person is how you show the beauty of Christ. Being a charitable person is how you can love others generously. These nine things can literally change someone's life and they're absolutely free. Think of all the family get-togethers that could be saved. Think of all the divorces that could be avoided. Think of all the money you'll save on therapy. All you have to do is take this biblical gift of charity, this generous love, and start giving it away. Now just remember... If you, do it, expect in, in, if you do it expecting something in return, it doesn't count. If you use this as a way to manipulate, these are the nine things you can give. You can give patience, kindness, goodwill, humility, decency, yourself, peace and quiet, forgiveness, and you can be a cheering section for other people. Now, when you think of this kind of love, the world will accuse you of being childish and naive. It's strange that in this very chapter, right after Paul says this, what Paul says was, It's actually the opposite. He says, whenever I was a child, I used to think like a child. But when I became a man, I had to put away childish things. Paul says, this way of thinking is actually a mature way of thinking. The self-centered person is the one who is being childish, never being able to see past their own desire. They're so short-sighted. Those are the ones who are being childish. We must grow in our faith. We must grow in our hope, but above all things, what is greater than these than our love for one another? Do you remember, just to close, this last thing we'll say, if the the people want to come forward, the musicians and stuff want to go ahead and make their way forward, we're going to close. You remember probably the most famous verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. He gave. Now, he would have been right. He would have been right. He would have been right. He would have been just to leave us in our sin and misery. It would have been justice for him to do that. But he didn't. The thing that changed everything was that he made the choice that instead he was going to love us. And he didn't have to, but he did. And here we are because he decided to love us with this kind of love. Is he not patient with us? So long suffering and kind. Does he not pay attention to us when we talk and we tell them our problems? Does he not give us peace within Is he not there for us to cheer us on and comfort us in the Holy Spirit? He is always there loving us and he did not have to do that. And now we have the ability through his Holy Spirit and through the instruction of his word, we have the honor now to be able to take his love. It's not our love, it's his love. We can't take his love and use it to excuse sin And use it and paste it on other things that are in the world because this love does not belong to the world. This is his love that should be used according to his word. It's his love, but it's been given to us. And now we have the honor to be able to take this love and we have the honor to be able to bear that love before the world and to be able to give that love to other people so that we can honor his name. That's what we're about. Now, this is what we have here in Kaya. I say we just because I've been allowed to show up today. Sorry. What you guys have here in Kaya, do you want to keep it? I'm telling you guys, and I pray that you would believe me. The same way that I would tell my kids across the table, 
if you want to keep this what you've got, this is how you do it. You've got to have the ability to love one another, just as it says it does, as you should. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your word. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to love one another the way your Bible says that we should. The way that you have loved us when we didn't deserve it. The way you have bestowed your grace upon us when it would have been just and right to not do so. The way you gave your life in our place. You gave yourself for us. You died on the cross and sacrificed yourself in our place. And you rose again to pay for all of our sins so that you could be both just and the justifier of those who were ungodly, for those who were in sin. You did that for us. You did not leave us in our sin, but you came and you rescued us because you decided to love us. And I pray, Lord, that we would now lay down our lives for our brothers, that we would love like you love, that people would see the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out of us, and they would see the fruit of Christ coming out of us, that we would resemble you, our Heavenly Father, with this love that comes out of us. Please help us, Lord, to love one another as you have loved us, so that all the world may know that we are your disciples, that they would be able to tell, that they would be able to recognize in us that we have been with Jesus, that we have been with Christ because they see this love in us and they'd be able to recognize it. They'd be able to see these people belong to Christ because of the way that they love one another. Let that be our story. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you are here today and you want to make a decision that you are going to try to love the same way that God loves today, now is the time for you to make that decision. If you were someone here today and you said, I've never even known this kind of love, I've never met Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, today is the day for you to make that right. And I would invite you to come forward if you have the opportunity and to do so today. God bless you guys. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.